You're listening to the Fringe Legal Podcast. This is the show for lawyers and law firm leaders. I'm your host, Ab. In each episode, I talk with technologists, key players, and experts to help you navigate the changing landscape that is the legal profession. If you're looking for strategies, learn about trending topics, get updates from the experts, then this is the place for you. Let's get to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of the Fringe Legal Podcast. Today, I am delighted to be speaking with Peter Bach of NetDocuments. We cover this very interesting topic around multi-teaming and also how do you measure productivity, the pain of constant context switching. It's quite a lot to uncover. And the only only note I wanted to highlight is we mentioned quite a lot of resources, articles, books, and so on. So please do check out the show notes, which you can find on fringelegal.com. Or if you stumbled onto this episode through a social channel, LinkedIn, Twitter, and so on, please do follow the link on there and you should be able to see many of the articles and so on listed from that point onward and this was a really great conversation peter thank you for challenging me Uh, i had no idea about this topic and it was a lot of fun actually digging quite deep ahead of the episode learning a lot more about it so without any further ado let's get to the episode Hello and welcome to this episode of the Fringe Legal Podcast. I'm delighted to have Peter Buck on the phone with me today. Peter is the VP of Product Strategy at NetDocuments. And Peter, I guess to get started, do you want to give us a short synopsis of how you ended up at NetDocuments and what your role entails now? Happy to, Adam, and uh, fun to be with you today. So product strategy is where I really try to focus in on the art and science of product design. So I think of art as the elements of culture and perception, you know, how, how do things actually work in your organization? And then science as the intersection of nature and engineering. So what's the data that's supporting these decisions? So I, I love the quote that we use quite a bit in meetings that if you don't have the data, we'll use my opinion. And I think uh, the notion of art and science coming together uh, makes sense. So at product strategy, my job really is to work with our product teams, our customers, and then try to think about where the arc of the business of law and the practice of law is going, where the productivity segments are uh, in many of our customers and the challenges they face every day. So that's kind of the context and the mindset I bring to every day of uh, every day. Awesome. And I love that quote. <laughs> I think I'm going to start using that in my meetings as well. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that when we spoke about this a few weeks ago, one of the areas that certainly piqued my interest and in across the multitude of things that you're well-versed in talking about was this idea of the multi-teaming problem something I don't really know what it meant at that time, but in research sounds something that certainly affects a lot of a lot of knowledge professionals, uh, certainly any uh, sort of knowledge workers. And my understanding of the problem and before we start sort of talking about your view of that is essentially it's the idea that a lot of people are working on multiple projects simultaneously, right? So they're part of multiple teams, which means it's massive benefits because it's a good way of being able to solve large complex projects and it means that from an organization point of view that you can actually have your employees you can utilize your employees 100% because not all not every employee needs to be 100% available 100% of the time for one project but there is obviously risk around that for example actually sharing these members means that the fate of some of these independent projects the time frames may be at risk there's obviously 
more issues with cohesion and identity because you, you have a constant sort of in and out from project from individuals. And I think the research that I came across in Harvard Business Review was something like 81% of people across, you know, sort of global companies when they say, I think 500 or so managers are working on more than one project concurrently. And I think that number goes up to something crazy and unbelievable, like 95% for knowledge intensive industries, which obviously law firms and legal is one. So I guess that sort of sets the background across, you know, what is a multi-teaming problem? What's your, what's your interest in it? Because I know Obviously, having a DMS, uh, you have people, multiple people working on multiple things. But, you know, as from your personal perspective as well, what's your take on this? I think it's a fascinating problem. And I would encourage anybody, if they have a chance to read the article, it's called The Overcommitted Organization. I'm, I'm guessing you'd probably put a link to it in the show notes. Um, Heidi Gardner, as you referenced from Harvard, fantastic professor, absolutely brilliant, and sort of unpacking what happens in an organization. And as you might imagine, she uses a lot of data to help unpack that. She also wrote a fantastic book that actually created a lot of interesting research out of, I think it was eight or 10 New York law firms where she was able to look deeply into time records. And that she mentioned collaboration, something to do. Exactly. It was great. Right, yeah. yeah it, it. It's available on Amazon. We can probably put it in the show notes also. It's a yeah. great book if you want to sort of understand what that means. And, and so the Overcommitted organization is a continuation, really, of that uh, research. And the question that stood out to me is who's feeling the pain? And I think you hit on it in your opening remarks is that as a professional, you're constantly having to context switch. And I always laugh at the question hey, do you have this 10 minutes? It's going to be really quick. Could you do this project for me? It's only going to take a short amount of time, maybe 10 or 15% of your existing time. You sort of look at your colleague, or maybe you're looking at your managing partner and, and you smile and you say, sure. <laughs> and then you try to figure out how do I solve that problem? So that's at the practical side of the multi-teaming problem. But to be a good professional, you need to contribute in lots of different ways. And often you never have the context to be productive immediately. So that's what some of her research found. And there's some interesting ways to think about this. And we're trying to help organizations solve uh, some of these problems with software. But I think the organizations should think hard about the problem and then figure out what specific solutions for them. I think we'll probably unpack this a little more, but that's the highlight about the overcommitted organization. Yeah. And now that you mentioned it, I remember, I remember reading about, I think she had a, a small sort of visual on who's feeling the pain and I'll include all of these in the show notes. And it was, it was really interesting to read because she's obviously interviewed a, it was a professional services firm. It could be a law firm, who knows? And I think the, the findings were quite interesting in that, as you might expect, when you're quite junior, so let's say you're the you know, one-year PQE uh, in a law firm, you are being drawn into multiple projects. So you may feel a lot more of the pain when you're really in your first, second, or third year of tenure. But what she found, which was surprising to me, was actually as you become more and more senior, you would expect the multiple project theme to go down. And it does in some ways in your involvement in it, but it goes up in more significant ways in that the more senior you become, the more drawn you are into leading multiple projects. And that means that in some ways the stakes are even higher because actually 
as a team lead, if you're not able to context switch as well on multiple projects, then it, it actually puts the entire project at risk versus an individual contributor in that team. And I think, you know, I'm sure probably a lot of professionals can relate to that. And um, I can certainly relate to that. And you're sort of jumping from one project to another as you become more senior in a leadership capacity. And that was really quite an interesting curve that she sort of drew in there. And I 100% agree with you that obviously there are some things that you can do to help alleviate some of the pains. But from an organization point of view, and certainly from a leadership point of view, which was a little bit of a thesis in, in this article, was that people should, leaders should really take a hard look at how they're actually managing multiple teams in, you know, in some ways she suggested was to be able to map your team skills, manage the time across teams, optimize actually, which is really something I really hit home with me, optimize the knowledge sharing across teams. Because again, all of this you're doing to minimize the risk of people switching from one task or one team to another. Exactly. I, I call it it's sort of the classic uh, blind man and the elephant problem. You know, the classic stories that depending on what perspective you have on the animal in front of you, you might think it's different beasts. And so managers often see the benefits of having a new team member, but sometimes they fail to see the drawbacks. So a classic example is a project manager that maybe has a project that's slipping a little bit and they say, you know what, I've got three engineers on this uh, project now. Why don't I bring in a fourth? It won't be full time. Perhaps that fourth engineer will be spending 15 or 20% of their time. What happens though, organizationally, is that the three overloaded engineers might run into some morale challenges because now they have to time slice to get other, to bring on this new individual. Likewise, the new individual uh, doesn't have perhaps enough context to be productive. And so you have this push and pull phenomenon that exists. And I think it's just organizationally understanding that. I think it's super important. So you know, I think that the, one of the notions at the end of the day is productivity. And, and what is it? What is productivity? You can answer that sort of metaphysically or, or factually. And one level is productivity is really just output as a function of input. But if it takes you too long to understand what the input is, your productivity is massively impacted. So we should talk more about this just because I think there's some research on the multi-teaming problem, which sets up the organizational challenge. But then there's some really interesting research by Jamie Tevin. She used to be uh, Satya Nadella's research director, now head of research at Microsoft. And she's studying this other problem that relates to multi-teaming. And that other problem is this micro-productivity concept. And with mobility being available everywhere, being able to use machines or even help managers organize teams into these micro-productivity segments, then she's finding that the productivity of individuals can go up because they can segment the tasks better. And some of those tasks can be automated, robotic process automation being perhaps one of those. And so now you get this nice balance between machine helping to micro-segment the tasks, the, the professional getting more productivity because suddenly they can be standing in line at Starbucks, they can be waiting for a conference call, and they can pick up pick off a couple of these tasks. So the coupling of the multi-teaming organizational challenge with the micro-productivity 
solution set, I think, gives us an interesting line of sight to start to, to solve this ever advancing challenge to our productivity. Yeah, and I think some of the research that she had is quite interesting because obviously it's it's something that's very topical right now and probably will be for for a few years to come. And I really like the approach of essentially coupling people and technology. And obviously her research and Microsoft generally is more around how do you use AI to make people more productive. But she's thinking about it from the from the point of view, at least that was my take, that I guess the people's work and generally their attention span tends to be quite fragmented right now. So there's a lot of, I think she framed it as self-interruption that happens. You get people interrupting themselves in the middle of tasks, especially when they're using mobile devices. And that's really the challenge that she's trying to figure out. How do you, how do you actually minimize those fragments or make the most of them? And I think it's a, it's an important it's an important distinction, and it helps to if you can really get people there, it really helps. And including AI in some way will help with that because one of the things that I suspect it will help with is giving people more context in the short spaces of time they might have available. Right. So uh, you and I talked about this briefly. You're in queue at a coffee shop, a Starbucks, or whatever it is. And in the three, four minutes that you're waiting in that queue, in that line, if you are able to be surfaced with something that's relevant, which you can accomplish in that small time span, then that could be a very efficient use of time. And I suppose AI or just some sort of robotics can help with that potentially. It can certainly help. I think the reality is today, and this is what I encourage listeners to think about, the study shows that it's almost 25 minutes to reach full productivity, but yet you're interrupted almost every three minutes. And so there are some practical hacks that we, I think we all use, if you don't, to create sort of this mental bubble around you. So you block time on your calendar that allows you to actually get some thoughts done. But the fact that it takes 25 minutes to reach full productivity, but you're interrupted every three minutes. How does that map to your, your day? So I think step one, right, it's just some practical approaches to use your calendar in a way that is effective using noise, reducing headphones, things like that. But then the machines will begin to help that Microsoft graph and got some interesting opportunities there about who do you work with. And so can that help solve the multi-teaming problem around these productivity cases? At NetDocuments, we've spent a lot of time thinking about this, and we've introduced a product called ND Thread. And think of threads as a real-time communication, but done in the context of either client matter work or organizational project work. So you don't have to think about, oh, I have to create a project for this, like you might with Teams. It's already been provisioned for you. And so when you get asked, uh, hey, Ab, can you join this project team? You can say, okay, and now you know exactly where to go. You don't have to say, hey, Peter, could you forward me the last 60 emails back and forth to the client so I can get up to speed on it? So that's one way I think Microsoft's doing it with Microsoft Graft. NetDocuments is doing it with Thread and doing that in the context of the documents that we're delivering for customers and clients. So there's interesting ways to try to approach this. We need organizations to help give feedback and continue to refine the software sort of back to the art and science concepts. And I guess as you, just to put it in context of of legal, as you speak to 
firms. Is that something you tend to come across where, I mean, I'm sure it's a loaded question that they're struggling with this kind of issue as well, especially in a very information heavy knowledge role. Is that something that your customers or folks you're speaking to are sort of complaining about that they are often finding themselves distracted or they sometimes don't have enough context to be able to get things done as quickly as they might be able to? Uh, Yeah, no doubt. And I think we've seen that being solved historically in the market through enterprise search or expertise uh, finding solutions. And I think that's just one of the problems. I think, I don't know if you know Jeff Rogner of O'Melveny, he always talks about search is not a destination, it's a journey. And you sort of have to guide people along that, that step. So I think enterprise search has traditionally helped. Expertise finding has traditionally helped. The problem often is also comes back to uh, Heidi Gardner's research that as you get brought on to more teams, especially your point earlier, Ab, about the leaders, they are having to lead many teams. So they don't have time to curate that knowledge. And that's where you can see now the organizational problem has created the technical problem. And we've just found that the context collection with thread done organically along the way sort of helps curate this context in ways that I don't think people have fully realized yet. So I guess to come back and answer your question, yes, we're hearing that. Yes, it's a little bit of the Gretzky uh, try to skate where the puck is going, create some frameworks to collect this this documents in sort of ambient ways, as opposed to explicit ways that have traditionally hamstrung uh, some knowledge curation efforts. So I think we're making headway. Good feedback. I think the fact that Slack and Teams are also working in the same space give an incredibility to the journey we're all trying to navigate. Yeah, and I think part of the so it's part of the item to address across firms, especially so, is just the systems they've used traditionally, and you touched on some of them. And I think you know, obviously, enterprise search and other tools such as that they do help, but. You have to, as we, I think as we learn more about different use cases, it becomes more important that you marry up the right use case with the right technology or process. It doesn't have to be technology all the time. And certainly in my experience, you know, you have things like enterprise search, but then you also have people sharing knowledge through things like emails and so on, which just becomes, you know, it's a way to certainly drown knowledge rather than sort of help distribute it across the organization, especially on small team structures. So whether it's sort of something like Thread, and as you said, there's other players in the market with Slack, with Microsoft Teams, which I think recently uh, announced that they have more users in Slack, which is quite fascinating given that they're relatively new to the game, with Teams at least. It's quite interesting. And obviously, Microsoft, Google, and other, other players are trying to be able to automate the way in which they use technology and the information that lives within your system to surface relevant information at the right time. And that's half the battle. You know, how do you get the right information at the right time in the right way? Because until you have that, it's difficult for someone who's working on 15 different projects to be able to prioritize accordingly. And I think some of the suggestions you've made using your calendar rightly, uh, using tools and so on does help, but it needs to be married up with something a bit more intelligent too. Yeah, we agree 100%. I think, I don't know if you looked at any of Mark Weiser's work. He's one of the early researchers at uh, Xerox Park, And one of his best quotes that kind of guide us and I think should guide everybody as you're thinking about technology is the, 
the quote that basically goes, I might be off a little bit here, but basically goes the most profound technologies are those that disappear. They ultimately weave themselves into the fabric of your everyday work life. And email has woven it in in a, in a knowledge grounding kind of way. Ab, as you mentioned, I think it's a fa- fantastic quote about knowledge grounding. So we're trying to reinvigorate that through thread and discussions and context. And then a little later this year, we'll be introducing tasks to try to help with some of this micro productivity. But again, it's very early days. But the idea that we, we're trying to solve these problems where they exist, not take somebody outside of their uh, problem solving uh, mindset. So. Love to see more feedback as we get these products out in the market and certainly fascinated about these two challenges, the multi-teaming challenge and the micro productivity challenge. Awesome. Yeah. And I'm very familiar with Mark Weisner's quote, and it's about, I think, uh, ubiquitous computing is, is kind of the core tenant of what he's talking about, right? Where it recedes into the background of our lives, I think he says. And I have the same sort of standing on when it comes to adopting technology. I had a conversation with Paul Dominic, who I used to work with a while ago. And he used to talk about, you know, true adoption of technology is when you forget what life is without that technology, because it becomes so ubiquitous to to your day-to-day lives. And I think all of these problems are becoming more. I think it's great, actually, if you look at a lot of these are moving away from just theoretical items to something that companies like NetDocs and others are actually starting to address and think about more seriously because we're getting into really people being bogged down with overload of information, even more so than they have in the past, and being able to solve these problems other than just boosting morale, which is a very important point on its own, can have significant gains both in productivity and efficiencies of teams and organizations. And, you know, as organizations try and become sort of hyper-growth organizations, it becomes a core, core value system they need to be prioritizing. Yep, exactly. That's a positive thought. And uh, hopefully the lessons from the reference materials we talked about today will have people motivated to start making some uh, small changes. We're ready. (laughs) Are you? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Wonderful talking to you. If you, I'll link to all of these reference points in the show notes, but if people want to find out more about you, about NetDocs or anything beyond that, how do they get in touch with you? How do you find out more? Probably the best way is to just follow me on Twitter. I'm at the back of the napkin. So think of a napkin and the backside at back of the napkin on Twitter is probably the best way. And, uh, Hope to see you there. And Ab, I want to say a big call out to what you're doing with uh, Fringe Legal. Not only is the name great, I heard the, your opening interview with uh, Joy Heath uh, Rush on the legal landscape and your debate over what to call it. Well, I think you gave it the right name. So kudos. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. It's been quite a, quite a fun journey and a lot of interesting conversations like this one. So thank you so much for coming on. All right, Ab. Have a great day. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Fringe Legal Podcast. Before you go, I have a huge favor to ask you. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. It'll take less than a minute and really helps others find the podcast. Meanwhile, you can find the show notes and resources from the episode on our website at podcast.fringelegal.com. That's podcast.fringelegal.com. See you next time.